Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Good morning, everybody. Hey, can we thank again these gifted artists that God has entrusted to us? So good. Thank <laughs> you. You're welcome, Tom. Um, I, we need to give honor where honor's due. You've, you've heard me say this. The best asset at PCC is you. You are the greatest asset in this church. And uh, we are saying goodbye today to a family that has served so well. They don't even know I'm doing this. But uh, the Rankins, are, we're sending them to Kentucky, a foreign mission field, my friends, Kentucky. Uh, but they came here from Kentucky. Their family's from here. Uh, they moved back to Kentucky for a while. They wanted to come back because of this community and now are going back to Kentucky. Uh, both Sean and Kelly have served so faithfully. Sean's been on our board. Kelly, they've just modeled in their neighborhood what it means to gather, grow, give, and go. And so would you please stand up and can we say thank you? Carter, you too, buddy. Can we say thank you to family? Yeah. Oh, well, I didn't say sit down. I, you know, put a hand towards them. I'm going to pray over them. Father, we give thanks for this family, and we thank you for the way that you have entrusted them to us, and now we're giving them back to you. And we thank you so much and pray that as they head back to Kentucky, Lord, that you would open doors, and what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has conceived, that they would trust you have in store for them because they love you. Uh, bless Sean and Kelly, bless the kids. And by bless, we don't mean fill their lives with more. We mean spend their lives in a way that counts for eternity. I know that's what they want out of their one and only life. It's been great. Thank you for the sacred entrustment here. And now we pray that they would trust you as they head back east. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Thanks. Love you guys. Uh, they are one of 80 families that during COVID are moving out, and we realize there are more moving in as well. So if you're a guest here, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, Jojo read it, uh, but keep your Bible open, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, we're going to go through that passage today. Um, I want to open with a prologue to a book by New York Times bestselling author Kelly Corrigan. My wife let me into this book. It's called The Middle Place. And The Middle Place, many of us are there. It's that place between aging parents and young kids. Uh, and Kelly talks about that in a very fantastic way. But this is how she opens up her book, the prologue. She says, the thing you need to know about me is that I am George Corrigan's daughter, his only daughter. You may have met him, in which case you can just skip this part. But if you haven't, I'll do what I can to describe him. But you really should meet my dad. She said, I think people like him because his default setting is open delight. Uh, is open delight. He's prepared to be wowed by your humor, by your smarts, by your wide smile, even your handshake. Guaranteed something you do is going to thrill him. People walk away from him feeling like they're on their game, even if they suspect he put them there. He does that for me too. He makes me feel smart, funny, beautiful. 
He told me once I was a great talker, and so I was. I became a conversationalist, along with creative, a notion he put in my head when I was in grade school and used to make huge, intricate collages from his old magazines. Now listen to this. He defined me first. Those early characterizations can become shimmering self-image we embrace or a limiting, still stifling perception we rail against for the rest of our lives. In my case, he sees me as I'd like to be seen. In fact, this is amazing, I'm not even sure what's true about me anymore since I've always chosen to believe his version. Whose version of you are you choosing to believe? And I'm not talking about earthly fathers, because I love how Summer put it. We can hold space for those who had tremendous fathers, and the reality is we've all had fallen fathers, and we are holding space for those of you for whom today is painful. But I'm talking about looking upward, and what does it mean to be defined by the intended father. The whole reason this church exists, the whole reason Jesus came to the planet was to connect us to a relationship we were all designed to have with God as father. So he's not just some impersonal force of the universe, but your personal, well, in Israel, they call it Abba, Abba. Sheshjan's here, and her husband is a good friend of mine. He lives in Tel Aviv. And he came to Christ uh, about six years ago, five, six years ago. And we were praying in, uh, he's Jewish, he's a Messianic Jew. He embraces Jesus as his Messiah. And we were praying just two weeks ago in the town square. And as we went to pray, uh, Nitzan said, Abba, and just called God Daddy. It was so beautiful. That's why Jesus came to earth, to give you and connect you with your good father. So on this Father's Day, what we all can do is not look um, upward to our birth line, but really upward into our spiritual birth line and relish in the fact that we have a father who loves us. I want to take you to a place in scripture, though, where there was a spiritual relationship between uh, a man and and another man. It was a spiritual fathering between the Apostle Paul and Timothy. Timothy was his number one protege. Paul was the great uh, missionary of the New Testament, the great theologian of the New Testament, and he's at the end of his life. He is in a prison cell, a dungeon really, in the Roman Empire in Rome, and he is writing his final words. He's not even writing it because he's chained to prisoners. He's dictating this letter. And with his last dying words, he's calling out to his protege who pastored the premier church in the New Testament. More ink is given to the church of Ephesus than any other church in the New Testament, and Timothy was their pastor, a timid man, the most unqualified person on the planet to pastor a church like Ephesus. And these are his final words. And in these final words, what Paul is doing is defining Timothy. And what I want to do with our final time together is define you through the words of Scripture. I want to be defined through the words of Scripture. And so Paul leaves him with four defining traits, convictions really that he's got to keep if he's going to finish well and if he's going to live well. Here's the first. Life is hard. Life is hard. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 to 7, look how Paul defines life. And remember, he's at the end of his. He says this, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, 
and the time for my departure is near. And then he says this, life's a fight. I've fought the good fight. Life is a strenuous race. I've finished the race. Life is a sacred stewardship given to him. I've kept the faith. The first thing clearly throughout his writings, not just here, and Jesus will echo this too, life is hard. Now listen, I I know you don't need to read the Bible to know that life is hard. Uh, Whether you call yourself a Christian or identify as a follower of Jesus or not, life's going to be hard for every one of us. This last year has been hard, right? Reading the homepage every day is becoming almost traumatic for me to find out what is taking place the day before. Uh, life is hard. This is not the world God intended. In this church, we believe this is the world that sin has wreaked havoc in. Life is hard. But if you're going to follow Jesus, there is a special hard to the life and a special empowerment to it. We'll see how Paul lives that out. Look what he says here. Uh, He says in two verses, two lines here, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. The original language Greek word for drink offering there is spendo. So where we get spent from. Paul's saying as he's in this prison, I'm spent. I have just put it all out there. I've given it all. And here I am chained to prison guards in a dark prison. I'm a drink offering. There's a lot more uh, with Jewish language that comes into that. It would take me hours to unpack that. But then he says, I fought the good fight. The word fight there, it's the word we get agony from. Literally, Paul said, I have agonized the good, the distinctive, the good agony. In other words, he's saying, you know what? As a follower of Christ, it's not just that I'm pained or in my human existence, it's in my spiritual existence to fight for the character of Jesus. It's been hard. It's been hard. Jesus talked about this, and Paul's picking up from Jesus in the upper room, the longest speech Jesus ever gave to his disciples. In John 16, verse 33, Jesus said this, look on the screen, I told you these things so that in me you'll have peace. Jesus knew life was hard. He said, in this world, you'll have what? Trouble, right? And he's not talking about the general trouble that we see on our homepages. That's just, that's just the world, the sin-cursed world. But if you're going to follow Jesus and stand out as his followers, there's a unique trouble that awaits every follower of Christ. But then Jesus said, take heart. In other words, take heart. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. And it's not a command towards an emotion. It's a command to be courageous. Take heart because I've overcome the world. In other words, you can take heart leaning into me because I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. So what Paul and Jesus are saying here is the first thing, if you're going to finish well, is have the understanding we are not in some Disney movie with a happy ending. This is a love affair on a battlefield with a great ending at the end of our life, and we'll get to that in a minute. Life is hard for the follower of Christ. Life is a struggle for the follower of Christ if you want to advance With Jesus, so that he increases, you decrease, that is not a passive thing. Uh, Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. 
you can see the struggle that Paul talked about. He said this in 1 Corinthians. It's not going to be on the screen. This is extra credit, everybody. He says this, uh, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Yet his grace to me was not without effect. I worked harder than most, yet not I, but the grace of God. Do you see the interplay between grace and effort, grace and effort? Grace came to Paul, by the grace of God, I am what I am. But his grace to me was not out of, uh, without effect. The proper response to grace is effort fueled by grace. And when you respond with effort fueled by grace, you grow in the Christian life. So here's my million-dollar question for you, my friends, my brothers and sisters. At what point do you plan on quit str- uh, to quit struggling? What is your plan? At what age do you get to take your pedal off the metal and just coast in your Christian life? When will you stop fighting for Christ-like character in your life? I say the greatest asset in this church is you because there are many in this church who have a response to that question with never. With every breath I take, with every year I grow, I will continue to take the grace that God has given me and the energy I have to grow in the Christian life and to let Christ grow in me. Many of you don't know a woman named Alice Clark, but she's now my pen pal. She uh, is 96 years old. She sat right there, wherever you are, John, yeah, uh, with her husband, Bob. Bob was um, an anesthesiologist, and Alice uh, was an, and still is an amazing therapist. And now she lives in Oregon. She's been there like for 15 years, and she's my pen pal. She's Anne's pen pal. She keeps writing us, and she's gone from real tight script to now at 96, she's almost going blind. And so we get the long uh, binder papers, and it takes up like three lines Uh, But she talks about how even in her old age, she's learning new things about Jesus. And she's praying for God to do new things in her life. And how, how she misses her husband who's been dead for about 15 years. But she can't wait for what God has for her every, every morning. That's who I want to be when I grow up. See, Paul said life is hard. And you got to fight for Christ to grow in you through the aging process, to struggle as things get taken away from you and not to grow in bitterness. You get a fight to steward what God has given you, your stuff, to be generous and not stingy. You got to steward the sexuality that God's given you to honor God with it. You got to steward the words God's given you to use words that bless and not curse, words that build up and don't complain. You got to steward the time that God has given you in this place of life, whether it's singleness or in relationship or marriage that God has given you. Life is hard, Paul said. I'm being spent. You'll never finish well unless you continue to struggle your whole life. Struggling is not abnormal. It's the norm in the Christian life. When you quit struggling, you quit following. And you float in culture and you become a version of yourself God never intended for you to be. The second thing Paul says is this, and this is really important. Death is a portal. Death is a portal. Uh, so let's pick it up from verse 6. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time, look how he, look how he describes death. The time of my departure is near. Isn't that interesting? 
departure. Uh, this is a timeline of eternity. We've used it a few times uh, in my time with you. And this red tape represents your life on the timeline of eternity. We have used this to give perspective to us all. This is eternity past. This is your birthday. This is your death day. This is eternity forward. This is your life in context. This is your life how God sees it. Most of us view age from the birth to the present, right? That's how we do that on planet Earth. But that's not how the Bible does that. Did you know that? The Bible views your age from death to the present. That's why we always got to have a sense of urgency. We never know when our day will come. We never know when God will say, today's your day for promotion if you're in Christ. And so that's why Paul always had a sense of urgency. And Paul said, you know what? When I come to this point, he's at the very edge of it. He's in a Roman prison cell. He's been tried and convicted of capital, a capital offense. Because he's a Roman citizen, he won't be crucified. Um, I got to use common language. He'll die a different way. I'll just put it that way, a brutal way. Uh, and he knows that's waiting him. And he calls it a departure. This summer, my family and I will be in an airport, and like when you go to an airport, we'll enter in and we'll see two screens in front of us, arrivals and what? That was an easy one. Arrivals? Let me hear you on the lawn. Departures, okay. Um, And when we go into an airport like that, in my other life, I should have been a pilot because I love airports. And the thought of a departure, the thought of going somewhere, it gets you excited That's the language Paul's using in this prison cell. And everything's been taken away from him. In the original original language, the word departure uh, was the word for a lot of things, but pertinent to our discussion was the word for untying of a boat from a dock to go out to sea. Once you believe the gospel and know who you are in Christ and you read about the resurrection of Jesus, and you read in the Gospels his post-resurrection appearances, which is what we will be like in the new heavens and the new earth, it's what we can relate to, Um, you get excited about that. None of us looks forward to the earthly death. I will quote one more time Woody Allen, that great theologian who said, it's not that I'm not excited about death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. We can all relate to that, right? It's not pretty. But Paul's saying, you know what? I can't wait for the passageway that death is. This should give all of us hope who are in Christ. What's better, a tulip bulb or a tulip? Tulips are much prettier than a tulip bulb. But you have to plant the bulb in order for the tulip to grow. PCC, do you have any idea what your life is going to be like at this point in the timeline of eternity? Have you given much thought to that? More importantly, have you given much thought to the choices you make today, how they will appear on this day? Have you ever thought of living today in light of this day, how you would have wanted to live? We have five senses right now. Maybe at this point we'll have 50. Maybe we'll have 500. Have you thought through your first five activities that you want to engage in in the coming kingdom? Do you let your holy imagination go there? Have you thought through this wedding banquet 
in meeting Jesus face to face, can you even imagine your last breath on this planet in a millisecond, Jesus is right before you and you see him live in 3D. Have you ever thought through uh, being with loved ones that you miss so badly and they're renewed and there's no more scars except in Christ himself? And then the coming kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth. I thought through a few things I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to uh, riding my daughters or horse girls, riding stallions in Woodside, bareback with Jesus and my daughters. I've never been able to ride with them. I can't wait to do that in the coming kingdom. Or the dinosaurs, T-Rexes. Can you imagine them stomping around in the new heavens and the new earth? Maybe. We're running single tracks or drinking espresso like you've never tasted it ever before. It'll be glorious. C.S. Lewis wrote a series you may have heard of called The Chronicles of Narnia. And in the final book of the final chapter on the final page, here's how The Chronicles of Narnia ends. All the characters are gone. They've all died. And Lewis ends and says... All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Whose version of death are you believing? Paul wanted to imprint on Timothy to say, you know what, I'm about to die. And Timothy would have been really sad about that, especially the way he died. But he said, hey, don't cry for me. It's a departure. I'm going into what I always long to exist in. Third thing he says is history is his story. History is his story. Look what he says. He's talking about now the trial. Verse 16, uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 16. He says, at my first defense, so Paul had a court date. He's waiting for uh, that court date and someone to come to defend him. He'd be prosecuted. He had prosecutors in that Roman court. But look at this. No one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. At which point you read, if you know the New Testament, you know the Apostle Paul, you go, really? This is how it ends? I remember that feeling. Uh, In 2008, I went to the Democratic Republic of Congo for the first time. That country has brought both healing and transformation in my life and my family's life. Uh, You don't know this, but there was a man here uh, at one point. Actually, she's here. Uh, I won't point her out because she'd be mad at me. But someone's father brought a Stanford student in the 50s, late 50s, Uh, to PCC, invited him, the power of invitation. Uh, Paul Carlson came and attended here and then uh, became a med student when he was a med student at Stanford and then uh, practiced medicine in Los Angeles and God had a call on his life to go to the Democratic Republic of Congo in the 60s. There was an uprising in the Congo and uh, they thought Paul Carlson was a spy and so they captured him. At one point during the capture, there was a huge uh, mob going by, and Paul thought and his companions, this is our chance, we can escape. And they went for a wall and didn't make it and died. 
their death, though, was a rally cry in missions in this denomination. Uh, it was amazing. And he ended up on the cover of Life magazine and Time magazine because the world couldn't understand how that could happen in the 60s. That's a story that of, of unbelievable imagination. So when I went in 2008 to the Congo, what I really wanted to do is go to Paul Carlson's grave because I thought this must be an amazing grave. I mean, this man gave his life on Congolese soil and so much has happened in the Congo because of this one life. And I'll never forget going into Karawa, uh, this village in the middle of a rainforest, and um, they had to whack the weeds in the graveyard. And then there's just this little capstone that just said Paul Carlson. And then it, it said some other statement in Lingala about his life. But I remember looking around going, that's it? That's all he gets? And the Lord impressed me so powerfully in that Karawa jungle that, no, 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 that, that's not all he gets. Because this world is not his home. And the Lord gave me a vision of Paul Carlson right here and the reception Paul had in eternity, and the award, the, the crown that God gave Paul for what he gave his life for. The same is true with the Apostle Paul. He's in this prison, and, and no one's there. Everyone's deserted me. But look at, his, look at his perspective. May it not be held against them. See, this is the, what the struggle for the Christian life brings. There's not bitterness the Lord stood by my side, that's important, and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and that all the Gentiles might hear. Do you get that? Paul's like, yeah, I wouldn't have scripted myself in a Roman prison chained to two guards. But the Lord's by my side. Yeah, every human being's des uh, deserted me, but God's here. And God wants Roman soldiers to hear the gospel. And so I'm chained to Roman soldiers. I'll just keep proclaiming to him this good news that with my dying breath, whatever arena God has put before me, the good news comes out of me. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Now you read that, and especially we read that in 2021, and we know history, and, and we go, wait a second, every evil attack, but he didn't rescue you, Paul. No, Paul says, here's the deal. Uh, God sometimes rescues me from suffering, and sometimes God rescues me through suffering. Because God's goal for my life is not my comfort. God's goal for my life is not my happiness. We'll get plenty of that here. And we get a portion of that here. The kingdom has arrived, my friends. The kingdom of God is among us. But God's goal for my life is Christ-likeness and holiness. And so sometimes God rescues me from me, rescuing me from suffering. I can praise God for miracles. Many times he rescues me in suffering because I can see what really matters. And it's not my happiness what really matters is not my comfort. What really matters is Christ-likeness and honoring God and having a fulfillment, even in a Roman prison cell, that betrays most human expectations. Paul says, in other words, I'm living here in this prison cell in a way that on this day I would have wanted to live.
History is his story. My life is being lived and God is weaving a greater, grander story in my life, through my life, throughout my life. Now, let me ask you a question. What kind of story are you living? What's the title? What's the story arc that your life follows? Who's the main character? What's the plot line? Is it a story that centers, and I don't say this as if I'm not living this, okay? Because I'm not the poster child for living a grand story. But is it a story that centers around you? I would just say to you, if that's your life, uh, it is such a small story. And God has such a greater story for you. So that your one and only life can be invested to count forever right here. Paul said history is his story. The last thing Paul would tell Timothy is this. Jesus is ultimate. I need you to tune in for the final minutes here because this is so important. Verse 17. Remember Paul saying, everyone's deserted me. But look at verse 17. The Lord stood at my side. The Lord gave me strength. The Lord gave me strength. Paul knew what the Old Testament talks about with Jesus, the companionship of this divine friend. In Proverbs 18.24, it says, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The Bible has a lot to say about friendship, and I love how theologian Tim Keller summed it up. Friends let you in, and they rarely let you down. That's a biblical definition of a friend. They let you in, and they rarely let you down. They're authentic with you. They open their arms and their lives and their stuff to you. And then they're there for you and never walk away. They rarely let you down. Look what Paul's saying in light of that. He's talking about this way, about Jesus, because he's so ultimate. The Lord stood at my side, and he gave me strength. The word gave me strength is just one word in the original Greek. He nourished me. Paul said, yeah, I, I may not have expected to finish my life in a Roman prison, and this is, a, this is a race I didn't expect to run, but God gave me the nutrients through Jesus. And so to my dying breath, I'm being nourished by Jesus. Who was it that Paul needed at the end of his life to finish well? I guarantee you, you don't need some uh, ethereal, broad relationship with God, God of the universe, God of the trees, some, some impersonal force. That won't do you well when you're facing trials. Paul had an intimate friendship with Jesus. And he said, the Lord stood by my side. In other words, and this is the gospel, friends, and we're going to wrap it up with this. This is Paul's Gethsemane. Uh, This is Paul's Calvary. Remember when Jesus went to the cross? And if you look at the end of Jesus' life, it went from the crowds to the 11, Judas deserts him, to the three, Peter, James, and John, to finally he's arrested and everyone scatters and he's alone on a cross. I mean, come on, think with me, okay? Let's not talk faith, let's just talk logic. The perfect human comes to earth. 
God unzips eternity, steps in and on the planet, he is the most peaceful, joy-filled, beautiful, loving human being who's ever lived. And how sick are we? We kill him. Not only do we kill him, we shame him. We beat him. We strip him. We place him naked on a cross to the point of death and leave him hanging there as long as possible. And Jesus cries out as everyone's deserted him, looking for his friend, the Father. And what does God do? Turns his back on his son. Because Jesus became our worst on the cross. He became sin. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? We can actually answer that question from 2021 theologically. God abandoned Jesus. This is so good. So that Jesus would never abandon you. God abandoned Jesus so that when you are walking through your deepest, darkest pain and you feel all alone, you can say, his presence is with me. He will never leave me. My friends, that's the gospel. That is the gospel, and it's available to each one of you. And it's available to me. It's what's changed my life. It's what's changing our lives as a church community, holding on to the belief that in Christ, we are never alone. And we don't earn that relationship. We have a friend in Jesus because Jesus became sin for us and gave us the gift of that relationship, that never-ending relationship. That's so good. So Paul finishes his final words in verse 21 by saying this. Do your best to get here before winter. Now he's saying that because when winter comes to come from Ephesus, the passageway would be blocked and Timothy would never make it to Rome. And he knew he would die any day. And then he says, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Come before winter. What does it mean for us? Don't put off what God's convicted you of, what the Holy Spirit has brought to mind in this meeting today. Whatever conviction the Holy Spirit has raised up, whenever you sense in my message a sense of, oh gosh, that, oh, I want that, or oh, that's got to change, or you know what, that's going to be different, act on it. Drill it in the ground. Tell somebody before you leave, come before winter, before the Lord. Don't put it off till tomorrow because you'll never do it. Your heart will grow hard. Don't put it off till next week. Come before winter to Jesus and renew your love for him, but more importantly, see his love for you. Four things Paul wanted to impress on his spiritual son. Life is hard. The spiritual life is hard. You've got to exert effort to meet God's grace. Death is a portal. History is his story. What story are you living with your only life? Jesus is ultimate. Let's pray. I'm so grateful, for Lord, for the gospel. I'm so grateful that um, everything we do is because of grace. We're so grateful for this community and we're grateful, Lord, that, uh, that you endure, that we are your bride, 
And you love your bride way more, way more than any human can. So grateful, Jesus, that because of you, we can call the Father Abba. And Lord, if there's anyone here that's unsure about their relationship with you, just encourage you, if you're unsure about your eternity, if you're unsure about God's love, you can turn through Christ right now. It's a gift. It's just one word, yes. Yes, God, I believe you love me. Yes, I know I've tried to run my own life and I've wreaked havoc. Yes, Jesus, what you did on the cross was for me. And yes, you offer yourself a relationship, forgiveness as a gift. So yes, I'm opening my life to you. Lord, I pray your blessing on this church. So grateful for um, for your grace, for their grace. Pray you would be magnified in this church until you return. That people would pursue you, not any human. You are the chief shepherd here. Your ministry never depended on people. You just allow us to be part of what you're doing. Give my sisters and brothers the belief that they are the greatest asset in this church. Open up the doors to courageous, Christ-filled steps of faith. Agents of reconciliation, bold proclaimers of the gospel. Open the wallets in this church to fuel the mission around the world. What you're doing, this church has always played above its weight class because of the generosity of people. Lord, may you find passionate Christ followers here. forever till you return. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.